Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 34 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that goes a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of the magazine, and I'm joined today by one of our great regular contributors, Anthony L. Williams. Anthony is the Director of Golf Course Maintenance and Landscaping at the Four Seasons Resort Club Dallas at Las Colinas in Irving, Texas, and in the cover package of our August issue, available online right now, www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine, he and fellow turf pro Ron Furlong wrote about which society-shaking moment was more challenging to work through. Was it the Great Recession or was it the COVID-19 pandemic? As you might expect, Anthony has plenty to write, plenty to say, and plenty of advice to help you approach whatever might be next. Before any of that, though, a reminder that the whole golf course industry team has you covered however you consume your turf industry news. We publish a monthly magazine. It's free for anybody who works in the industry. You can sign up online if you don't subscribe already. It's also available online. We share the latest course news and industry buzz every weekday on our website, golfcourseindustry.com. We send out a weekly email newsletter, fast and firm. You can sign up for that on our website, too. We're active on Twitter, GCI Magazine, GCI Magazine Guy, G-U-Y, and Matt Lowell, M-A-T-T-L-A-W-E-L-L. We're active on Facebook. We have a TikTok, and we drop a new podcast just about every Tuesday and sometimes more than once a week wherever you listen to podcasts. Whenever you have news to share, we're here for you. Reach out however you want. And now, a quick word from CPRO. CPRO, the proud sponsor of Beyond the Page. Turf plant growth regulators are a critical tool in keeping every course in top-notch condition. They not only help to reduce clippings on warm and cool season grasses throughout the season, but also help manage and enhance POA annua to enhance the overall turf quality and conditions of the course. CPRO provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass, Legacy and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions. Their full lineup of products works hard to ensure that your course is consistently looking its best. Visit them at cpro.com to learn more. After the break, Anthony L. Williams. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Good to have you back. Matt, I am so glad to be with you today, and uh, everything's marvelous here in North Texas. It's, it's a wonderful, almost fall day, and golf is great, and uh, so is Texas. So we're, we're doing good, my friend. Right before we pressed record and started the formal part of this conversation, you were mentioning that last month you had 10 and a half inches of rain in 24 hours, a record you had well you are right now in the midst of your fifth either ownership or management change in your almost 40-year career uh, but today we're going to talk about two probably even more challenging times which you wrote about in the August issue the Great Recession and the COVID-19 
Pandemic 2, probably safe to say the two most challenging stretches of your career? Uh, very safe to say, no question. And and while they mirror each other in some ways, uh, very distinct uh, and unique challenges within both. But uh, I was fortunate, uh, Matt, as you know, to uh, survive and, and actually thrive a little bit during both of those. So, But uh, no question, the article was fun to write because it was a good chance to reflect. Uh, so big, t- big time uh, memories um, from both accounts. And if folks have not read it yet, the August 2022 issue, already in your inbox, uh, already online, the cover package, a story by Anthony, a story by Ron Furlong, both longtime experienced turf pros with a lot of memories and great note takers. Assessing tough times, Anthony's story was titled Between Tough Places. So when the recession started, you were, if I'm doing my math right, probably about 20 two years no yeah about 22 23 years in and working at a multi-course facility in georgia what were the early weeks and months like for you there because it was fall of of 2008 season was not over yet no i think that the standout is is that suddenly uh you know uh, we were a public facility but attached to a, a marriott resort and we started to see uh big group cancellations because all of a sudden uh, you know, companies were hurting. And then we started to see a downtick in uh, just public play because, again, people were hurting. And, you know, the the first signs of, you know, rounds were down. Some of the bigger groups were cut in half. Uh, and it, it's, you started to see, you know, uh, things are, are tightening up. And in that world, you know, you have to be profitable. And so that was the other thing. You know, if uh, rounds go down, budgets go down, uh, quality goes down. And you, uh, one of the things I remember most is we started hearing the term, you know, well, you know, you have to achieve more with less. You know, you're going to have to figure it out. And so that was the first initial challenge was, okay, uh, if we don't have quite the resources, how are we going to maintain the standard? And, uh, you know, the, that was how we recognized that uh, things were about to change significantly. You included that phrase, do more with less, in your story. I don't remember hearing that phrase a lot before 2008, 2009, but I wasn't 22 years or so into my professional career. I was about two years into my professional career at that point. Right. Um what about you? Was that was that the first time you'd really heard that phraseology uh, making yeah. it from manufacturing yeah. to, to turf? Certainly, certainly. You know, we've heard maybe lesser versions of it. And, and of course, my twist of it was to take uh, do more with less to achieve more with mm-hmm. less because I, I didn't want our team to, to take their eye off the prize. You know, we, we were uh, very environmentally driven. Uh, our environmental business model was very effective and efficient. But, you know, there's, there's some realities that if you just don't have the resources, it's only so far you can go. But you have to, to have no sacred cows. You know, you have to realize uh, this isn't a 90-day thing. This is going to be extended into several seasons. And so, you know, it's easy once you've established a, a budget president that it's, this is it now. This is all there is. So you have to be very uh, aware of how you're going to fight for resources and how you're going to show value what you're going to track, how you're going to document. Uh, and, of course, you, you're losing the amount of time you have personally to do those things. So you have to recognize which uh, which battles are, are more important, and you have to get your priorities in order, and, and you have to be very fluid, and you have to get outside the box. And 
all that happened, it seems like, overnight, but I know that it was it was over a several months, uh, you know, five, six months period that we really started to, to see the need uh, for innovation and, and just work ethic and delivering a product with, with uh, slightly different tools in your toolbox. What were some of the things that you remember doing? And again, you are a just prodigious, incredible note taker your entire career. What were some of the things that you remember doing uh, in terms of adapting early on, whether it was having to cut hours or restructuring how teams went out or ordering less? Uh, anything that, that sticks to top of mind, Anthony? Um, we started uh, working in a gap. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever really ran a gap. So uh, what we were doing was uh, I would schedule guys primarily to have the bulk of our crew available. And we'd take a couple of hours and block the T-sheet. Uh, now, we were a 36-hole facility, so that gave us a little bit of, of wiggle room. But uh, literally, I would have all of my guys, primary mowers, everybody starts, and we moved like a monster through through the golf course. We were focusing primarily on line of play, so uh, we were converting areas to uh, native grasses. We were dropping some of the higher-maintenance pieces. Uh, but everybody was in front of me, so I, you could kind of see it all kind of happen. And then what happened, I, ironically, uh, Matt, is that uh, members and local players started to recognize, you know, the absolute best tee time to have is right after the gap. If you're the first tee time out after <laughs> the maintenance gap goes out, it's mown-blown clean and awesome. And uh, then I realized I have to protect the gap because people were trying to sneak out early <laughs> because we were trying to, you know, it's like all of a sudden there's like this great demand for, uh, I, need, I need that 2 o'clock tea time because that's when the gap ends. And so, you know, they were trying to sneak out at like at 1.30. Oh. And, 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 and the pro shop's trying to sell it because they're like, oh, man, we got more tea time. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was, that was a, a very – uh, effective. We weren't sure if it would work. We just had kind of talked to some folks that were trying it, and we put it in play. It worked for us. Uh, you know, and again, I had never really done that prior, prior to that. And um, it required a different level of, of planning and scheduling, but then we started to kind of get part-timers, and, you know, we, we, we just changed a lot of what we thought had to be. You know, well, we only want full-time guys because they're more knowledgeable and committed, and and uh, and we we just found a different. We we went to a mix of. We had some re- high school kids. We had some retirees. I mean, uh, the, the generational training required to run that many different age groups is a little significant. But uh, in that '08 re- recession, I, that was where I, I got baptized into. Uh, you know, uh, the old guys telling the young guys that that generation is worthless and the young guys thinking that, uh, you know, I only do what I want to do when I want to do it. So, uh, yeah, all that happened, and, and the gap was at the at the heart of it. Nobody wants to work anymore, and the last generation is the only good generation, a tradition unlike any other. Right. <laughs> now, and that's magnified a lot more in the, in the pandemic version. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was my first taste of it, was in uh, that 0809, you know, 2010. How long did that maintenance gap last for you? How long were you able to keep that on the books and, and keep those tee times open? Uh, you know, we used it in, in, in theory. We, it never really went away. After, uh, not, we didn't use it every single, every single week and every day like we did during that 0809 
but uh, when we would get pressed and have different needs, we, we still kept the philosophy of the gap. Uh, but it just wasn't, uh, you know, every day, you know, the way that it was uh, during those years. So it lasted a couple, probably a couple of years, I'd say. And as we came out of the recession and started to see more play and, and then we were able to schedule a little bit different. Uh, one of the things that I, that I added towards the end of that was some night shift work. Hmm. You know, where we were, you know, we were coming in, you know, we kind of upgraded all the lights on the moors. And, you know, we sort of moved our window of uh, what we thought we could do more maintenance and uh that stayed with me even till today you know uh we do a lot of overnight uh work we do greens aerations and a lot of things overnight uh here here at four seasons uh and and i guess my confidence to do it sort of came from those early lessons you know so some of what i learned in the great recession allowed me to be resilient uh during the pandemic i didn't realize that you did so much night work still about what percentage of work at four seasons do you think is after the last tea time, it's not. It's not a huge percent. I'd say ten percent, okay. probably. Uh, but it's critical ten percent. You know, uh, I knew for years that you know when bent grass is going through huge stresses, you got to make sure that air and water are exchanging properly. Uh, so we do, uh, you know, uh, quarter inch hollow tine aeration once a month, straight through May, June, July, August. And uh, those things, uh, especially the June, July, and August, uh, those are, we do those at night when the temperatures are better. And in the Texas heat, obviously very necessary. In other parts of the country, maybe wouldn't work as well. But in Texas, where, I mean, you're, you're getting well into ter- triple digits a lot of the year, at least a lot of the summer. Yeah, and again, this year was, uh, you know, we had our first 100-degree day in May. And then, uh, you know, we had... 60-some days that were over 100, and there was a stretch uh, about a, almost the full week where we were uh, in that 108 to 110 range. And uh, bentgrass frowns on those temperatures. And uh, our water management was phenomenal, uh, you know, because we, we've got two-man teams, a guy on a moisture meter and then a guy with a hose behind him, and we, we water up and track. Uh, salinity especially is a big issue, uh, you know, because we're watering – you know, we went 75 days with no measurable rain, and so we're only watering out of the canal system, which is reclaimed water, and salinity becomes a factor. So being able to periodically flush, um, so but when you're going to go, uh, you know, uh, two and a half months without a, a natural soaking, flushing rain, that's a, that's going to be a factor on the things you do. So the gap survives from one huge society-shattering event to another from the recession to really today what were some of the other practices that maybe not endured till today but but you carried on for quite a while after 2009 2010 maybe 2011 as things started to not get back to normal but settle down a little bit well you you start to get creative um with tank mixes for your uh, your applications you know what uh, uh what chemistries can mix and mix well and, you know, the order of mixing, I mean, everything sort of has to take one step more efficient. And that stands out to me, too. That's when I really started dialing in uh, which fungicides, you know, modes of action that we were going to mix. Because, again, you weren't going to be able to go out as often. So you're going to basically have to get dial your, your fertility in because, you know, you're going to probably, and I remember clearly, you know, we started to drop the fertility back because you just couldn't afford uh, you know, to do a tremendous amount of high-dollar fertility. 
you know, so before you were probably doing higher end, slow release, you know, fertility multiple times per year. Well, then, you know, a lot of guys were dropping back to, well, you know, if I, if I get a chance, I might put ammonium sulfate out. We'll see what happens. So you're really having to get the pencil out and look at the weather patterns and, and, uh, and dial it in so your margins for error were smaller and you were having to get bigger bang for your buck. And so naturally, I was putting a lot more pressure on my vendors, you know, that, uh, hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to custom blend, but I need you to be absolutely spot on. And, uh, you know, and then whatever deals you could get, uh, I, that was probably about the same time where I started doing 70 to 75% of our total spend was EOP. So we could maximize the discounts. So that was another spinoff that, that stands out to me. Are you still around? Because it is, it's almost EOP season here. Are you still about 75%? Yeah, matter of fact, uh, we just went to uh, and, and secured our EOP for next year, and it's about seventy-five percent. I, I think once you give, once you keep good enough records on your facility, and you're kind of watching product availability kind of rise and fall. You know, again, you know what the owners expect from me is to dial the agronomy up that meets the expectation of the product, but also the financial expectation. So, uh, so yeah, we're we're always uh, since those mid. 2000, uh, I have certainly uh, tried to maximize uh, EOP because, you know, you're uh, you're just basically getting the product for, you know, getting either, you're either getting that product for less or you're able to upgrade to better product because of the discount. You wrote in your story that you, at the start of the pandemic, were required to lay off about 70% of your ground staff, and, and we'll get to that yeah. in a second. What was the start of the recession like? Did you ever fear... Uh, for your own job security, or or was it did never reach that level? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think uh, each month and each quarter that the financial performances started to not be to historic level, uh, adjustments were were asked instantly. Sometimes in the week before the week, uh, you know, you started to think uh, if we have a rain out on a Saturday, then um, uh, you know we're going to have an adjustment because all of a sudden if the revenues aren't there then, um, you know, the expectation is still that the business has to stay afloat. So, uh, so yeah, those, those first recession moments, full of uh, very quick adjustments. So, yeah, if you lost, uh, say, an assistant got another job or moved or got out of the business, uh, the, you know, the ask was, well, don't replace them for a month or three months or maybe never. Hmm. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, all those things were, were very real. Basically a, a hiring freeze, essentially. Yes, and you know, and you might could you know again uh, when we would go and fight for dollars, whether it be for materials or labor, uh, you had to to go in and not just prove the value of it. So that's where we we tightened up to, uh, you know, some of the well, we knew uh, total hours involved to maintain the product at a certain level, but every now and then you would go into a meeting and and honestly it was some apathy in the room, you know that well you know uh, having a golf course is at any level is okay, you know, and so you had to really keep your PR machine turning uh, to make sure that the members were good and, and uh, you know, and we were still attached to a resort. So, and we were doing landscaping too. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden, maybe the uh, the annual color that used to be, uh, you know, at, at the $25,000, dollars range, maybe that got cut in half. Uh, but the beds didn't get any smaller. <laughs> so, you know, how are you going to make those adjustments to, to keep the product looking the way that it should look? Going back about two and a half years, the 70% cr- 
crew reduction. Uh, was that the biggest single cut you'd ever had in your career? Oh, yeah. What was that like? Um, well, because it came so quickly, uh, you know, we, we didn't quite know what a pandemic was. You know, you kind of start hearing the word COVID-19, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, my boss and I were actually in Mexico uh, for four seasons looking at a golf course uh, for them down there. And we get a call, uh, hey, I think the border is going to close. You guys need to get back on, uh, you know, to Dallas. And uh, that was on a Thursday. I think we got uh, flights out the next day. And uh, on Tuesday, March the 16th, I believe it was, uh, we, the bio-executive order closed the resort. Going back to the spring of 2020, you wrote that, and we never got this, but I know people who did, in addition to you, you received a card to place on your dashboard in case you were stopped on your drive to the grounds or your drive back home by police, said, yeah. I'm, I'm an essential worker, I need to be out. Yeah, no, we, uh, when they, uh, we got everybody together to say that the business was going to close and then the 30%, which was mostly managers, mm-hmm. Uh, when we, yeah, we were uh, we were given a, a letter, and it's supposed to be on your dashboard. And I'll tell you that next day, driving in, uh, you know, Dallas is a very very high traffic city, and it was uh, very surreal, zombie like almost. That uh, even though when we come in early, there's not a ton of traffic, but no matter what time of day, uh, in the early days, uh, basically there was a lot of uh, police presence at the intersections. Uh, but yeah, I. I I never got pulled over and asked for my letter, but I, I certainly waved at a lot of policemen, and the letter was certainly on my dashboard. Two very different challenges, the fall of 2008 on into the next couple of years, and then the spring of 2020 on into really the next year or two, and two different reactions by the golf industry. Which one was tougher for you, both in terms of work and in terms of life in general, Anthony? I... I, I you know, I, I, it's, you know, obviously when you read the article, you know, we go through a lot of the things you and I have been talking about, and I waited to the very, 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 very end. And for me, the pandemic was harder, and I came to that realization based off the human loss, loss of life, and just disruption of all things that were even remotely normal. Uh, so, you know, because, you know, there was a lot of people trying to find jobs in the recession. Mm-hmm. And now the great resignation arrived. And even though golf's had this big boom, all of a sudden, you know, we had record rounds and, and we were single rider cars, so more traffic and more ask of, of the green assets and fewer resources than ever on the labor side. Uh, so, yeah, I think the, the pandemic was harder for me personally and and our operation uh, really had to be resilient um, you know the the crazy thing is is as we we had record financial results in the midst of, of all that pandemic craziness after we got back ramped up that you know demand was bigger than ever and we're still in a bit of a a rounds boom. I think it's down a little bit in 22 from 21 just because of weather in so many regions of the country. But I think it was, what, 14% was the total, was the final number 2020 over 2019. 2021 over 20 was about 5%. And this year is basically flatter, a little down only again because of weather. But 
you know, the, the, the golfers aren't going away. You're just having a much harder time trying to, to keep the crew full, I imagine. Yeah, and and so, you know, everybody is, is trying to find an answer. Uh, but, you know, the a lot of the turf programs had kind of thinned out, uh, you know, over those years. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, I love the industry, but I understand because I've had it put in right back to me, you know, that you know, I had a couple of interns this year, matter of fact, that uh, they finished their interns. They were hard workers. They did great. And as they got ready to go back to college, they said, you know, uh, golf's just not going to be for me because I don't want to come in at four in the morning. I don't want to work every holiday. I don't want to, I don't want this in my future. So I'm going to spin a different direction. And, you know, so you got a, a young person, very capable and good work ethic, but just like, you know, making a decision about quality of life and what they want their future to be. And it didn't line up well with the ask of our industry. And we've got to figure some of that out. Um, you know, but it's, uh, it's very real, Matt. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as always, I think I said this in the article too, the ones that, that get innovative and find kind of the, a good mix uh, tend to take these, that, these stressful moments and turn them into to great results and opportunity. And then the ones that, that are a little bit resistant to change and all the flexibility required uh, are going to struggle more. Uh, so I, I do think that there's there's always a way. Uh, it's just that sometimes after you've kind of adjusted the schedule as many times as you think you can, you wonder, well, is there is there one more answer to this riddle? And uh, and I believe there is. I, I, I'm still working on it myself. Um, so I think that's... Uh, uh, an interesting place to to find ourselves here in 2022 is um, you know once again the industry is adjusting to stresses inside and outside, and not a question directly about the recession or the pandemic. But you mentioned you had a few interns who finished up who went back to school and said, "I think I might look elsewhere in turf." Yeah. I talked with a really really talented 17 year old, almost 18 year old now, for the podcast. Uh, a couple episodes ago, and he's on the grounds crew for a double-A baseball team. He's also an intern and on the crew at a club that for many, many years was a top 100. And he's not even in college yet. He's keeping his options open. But right now, he says baseball or other sports fields, probably a little better quality of life. What can golf do to compete with baseball, with soccer, with football, uh, even with parks and recreation, other than maybe throwing more money at people? Well, you know, I think the money part is, is step one. But then you, we, we've eventually got to address the way we schedule and the, and the ask of assistance or, or uh, techs or, or our group in, in general to realize that maybe guys are just not going to put a 65, 70, 80-hour weekend on a regular basis because – when you talk about quality of life and life balance, well, there's not much left over if, if, you, if you're going to live to that. And even if you have a, a love for the game and love for growing the, uh, the grass and the agronomy is your thing, if uh, there's another alternative similar that's going to allow you to have 10 or 15 more hours per week to live your life. So we, we, we will have to address that. That's it's probably already here, but it's certainly coming. If it hasn't landed, it's at your place yet. 
you know, I've got, uh, and I'll just use our group as an example. In the last two years, all of my assistant superintendents had superintendent jobs and went on and started doing great. But what I've noticed, uh, you know, I've looking back, counting my time in the industry, I've got 36 young men and women that worked for me either as interns or, or assistants that went on and became superintendents. But a lot of them now, after having been successful superintendents, are starting a, uh, a, either a tree business or a landscape business or doing something different, and they're rolling out of the, of the industry in pretty large numbers. I'm hearing all that and watching all that, and I'm, and I'm getting ready to rehire you know, my next round of, of young men or ladies, and I recognize that I have to offer more than just a salary and a, and a tradition. I, I've got to be able to, to, to find their need in regards to work-life balance, and I have to work actively with them to achieve that. And that's different, but it is not going to go away. Maybe the next great challenge for the industry, not anything societally on par with the recession or the pandemic, but labor is always going to be the number one challenge for this industry. That's that's something that hasn't changed since you came in 37 years ago, I don't think. Right. A- absolutely. So, you know, and it's uh, a lot of what we do is, is physically demanding, uh, but a lot of what we do is high science and environmentally sensitive, and we have to be the expert. We have to be the steward of the property. Um, out in the actual where the rubber beats the road in regards to water quality and inputs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, if we're not financially viable, everybody's out of work. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's where the, you know, you're, you're sort of the magic man. You're the, the conductor of this orchestra. And uh, as good as you may be, you cannot play all the instruments and conduct the orchestra. So the leader, is the superintendent, the director, whatever title he may have, you're ultimately accountable for everything and everybody, but but you know you also have to look at, uh, to your own health and stability. So one of the things I think that's underwritten in that is uh, even guys who don't want to get out and just love it are going to basically just push as far as they can push. Uh, you know sometimes you got to look at yourself and and make hard changes, Matt. And as you know. You know, I've, over the last few years, you know, I've, I've dropped 100 pounds and mm-hmm. got myself in better physical condition because I recognized that uh, nobody was going to do that for me, and I had to make uh, some adjustments uh, in order to still be viable uh, in years 37, 8, 9, and every how many. Well, I'll leave you with this, Anthony, and, and congrats on, uh, on just getting in better shape. That's always impressive and, and laudable. I hope you don't have to work through any more industry and society rocking events. You've had the recession, you've had, and even during the recession, you had a hundred-year flood when you were in Georgia, too. You had, obviously, the uh, the pandemic. What, what do you leave, any advice, and it could just be something as simple as take really good notes and, and keep them around forever, but what advice do you give to maybe younger turf pros who probably will have something, uh, maybe not a pandemic or a recession, but something that rocks the industry and society uh, to the level of those two events at some point during their career? Yeah, I think taking good notes helps because it allows you to look back uh, and and accurately reflect your thoughts and, and some of the realities of, of that moment, which will be valuable to you in the future. Uh, mine ended up uh, being a textbook, which is something I'm really proud of. So, so definitely do the, the journaling and the note-taking and, and keeping the case studies live and active. But ultimately, 
um, this too shall pass. So if you really get pressed, just get through that day and try to, to understand the 360 of your life and realize that, that um, not everybody's going to have a very long tenure in this business, but if, if it's kind of your calling, if it's your thing, then uh, be aware that uh, you can break the mold and do some stuff that's a little bit different. Uh, you know, if you recognize that, that it is going to require a certain level of sacrifice, uh, you've got to build your life around that. And, and the more you put your mind to seeing a future and then reverse engineering, maybe that's my thing, is um, reverse engineering your life is kind of important to, to being a high achiever and doing it for a very long time. That, uh, you know, uh, being flexible so that if it dips and turns a little bit, hey, it's okay. Uh, ultimately, I think I've been able to do those two things from the re Great Recession to the pandemic. And I served as chapter president in both the two. So that's, that's right. kind of odd that, uh, that, that, that I would be in a leadership role when that happened. But, but for those young guys or uh, for us more vintage superintendents that find yourself uh, staring into the future that might be a little unknown, um, plan well and then be willing to be flexible in the day-to-day, -day, I think is where I would leave it. Anthony Williams, always a pleasure to talk with you. Hope to see you in person again before too much longer. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Matt. It's my privilege to be well, my friend, uh, and I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Thanks again to Anthony L. Williams for taking some time to go beyond the page. Thanks to our sponsor, CPRO, which provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass, Legacy, and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions, whose lineup of products works hard to ensure your course is consistently looking its best and who's always available online at cpro.com, S-E-P-R-O.com. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Off the Course, Greens with Envy, Tartan Talks, and Beyond the Page drop on Tuesdays. Real Turf Text with Trent Manning drops on the third Wednesday of each month, and Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drops on the first Thursday of each month. Our August issue is online now at www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine with our cover package about assessing tough times. Anthony has a story. Ron Furlong has a story in that great package. There's a Guy Cipriano special about Midwest golf, and there are a pair of features by our summer intern Cassidy Gladio about a unique internship, and just about being nice. And there's lots more, of course. Even more stories and news are available in our fast and firm email newsletter that's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. You can sign up directly on our homepage at www.golfcourseindustry.com. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell. Our columnists are wonderful Terry Buchan, Henry Delosier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morgan, and Matthew Wharton. We have some fantastic regular contributors to Trent Bouts, Tyler Bloom, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Cassidy Gladio, Trent Manning, Judd Spicer, John Torsiello, Anthony L. Williams, you heard from him today, and Rick Wolfel. Our publisher is Dave Zai, Russ Warner, and Jimmy Clark handle sales. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Caitlin Sellers and Amanda Cafardi make sure everything goes where it should. 
Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Irene Sweeney does everything and more. Ryan Jacobs, Anna Matthews, Cody Minnick, Tom Bauman, Brock Andrada, and Patrick Brion are our IT team. Our president is Chris Foster. Above all else, we could not do what we do without every one of you. Thank you so much for listening.